Episode 23 of the podcast is with Derek Salvador, who's the head of S&C at Athletic Solutions. Derek spoke about the challenges he faces in Canadian soccer. He also spoke about his movement progressions and his work with Beyond Pulse. He also underlined the importance of movement quality in his practice. It was a great episode with Derek. I hope you enjoy the chat with him. Um, if you haven't done so already, go and check out the Soccer Science Conference. There's only a few days remaining to grab the early bird ticket prices now. That is only going to be available till the end of March. And you can use the code FFF10 on checkout to get a further 10% discount. But make sure you do that before the end of March. So if you're listening to this as the podcast goes out, it is the end of this week. You will, you will still get the discount if it is past March. And I do really recommend this conference. It's going to be absolutely quality. There's names coming out all the time of new presenters and uh, companies supporting the event. I know it's going to be a top, top event and one not to be missed. It's the 21st of June um, and it's at Hotel Football, which is right next to Old Trafford in Manchester. Thank you very much to the guys that have gone on and left us an iTunes review. I'm just going to read the last couple out. So we've got one from MD underscore PSS. It says, absolutely love this podcast. As a young sports scientist student and intern in a semi-pro football, the content is relevant, inspiring, and always learn something from all the guests. All shows have been great, but particularly enjoyed Paul Bauer, Mike Boyle, and Damien Hughes. Keep up the great work. So thanks a lot for that. Uh, they were top episodes, and I'm sure Paul will be absolutely buzzing to be alongside Mike and Damien in that list, but absolutely quality. Thank you very much for that. And then also Tom Little, who is going to be appearing on the show next week. He's um, put a review on, and it says, invaluable content for any practitioner. So thanks a lot for that, Tom. And I look forward to bringing you his podcast, which is going to, like I said, that's going to be the next episode. Um, so following on for this podcast, which is already recorded, and it's a top, top episode with Tom. If anyone has seen Tom speak before or heard him speak, they know he's a quality practitioner, and he went through some brilliant stuff. So I'm really looking forward to bringing that to you. Please subscribe and share this show, and I hope you enjoy the episode with Derek. Welcome to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Today, I'm joined by Derek Salvador, who is the Head of Strength Conditioning at Athletic Solutions. How are you, Derek? I'm very good this morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Now, let's kick it off with... I've kept the intro very brief because you were trying to describe to me all the players and the teams that you're working with at the moment, and the list seems to be huge. So I want to get you talking about it rather than me trying to explain it. So take us through your background, who you're working with, and all the um, experiences you've gone through so far. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for the intro there. Uh, my background is just, you know, probably the same as everyone else's. Um, you know, for myself, it was, you know, just going off to university and then trying to find my path afterwards. And where it started off first was I was working in rehabilitation. And what kind of sparked my interest or getting to where I am now was um, a population that I was working very closely with was uh, ACL rehabilitation. And what I started noticing is as I started diving into it and the years were going by, um, I started noticing that the more people I was working with, the more that I was starting to notice um, a bit of a trend or a little bit of a problem. And a lot of the players that we were seeing were, or a lot of the athletes we were seeing were young soccer players. 
And so for myself, I was trying to find an answer to, you know, the post-surgical side of things. So how we can integrate these athletes back into sports safely. Uh, but then after that, as I continued to do more research and learn more, my questions started to become, well, what's happening on the front end? What can we do to start trying to prevent these types of injuries? And that kind of led me down my path of performance and starting to look at long-term athletic development um, and then being involved in the sport of soccer for a very long time. Um, it's just something that I felt was a natural fit. And so basically I started turning all my attention to performance and injury prevention and just, uh, you know, like I said, long-term athletic development models and, uh, and then working a lot more closely with youth and trying to see if we can keep these players on the field for as long as possible rather than trying to recover from these types of injuries. Um, and so, like I said, that developed, uh, that turned into me developing my own uh, or creating my own business model. And from there I work with a lot of different, um, a lot of different clubs so right now primarily i work with three soccer clubs um i work with the oakville soccer club and waterloo minor soccer club and both of those uh, clubs participate in the ontario player development league so i am the head of strength and conditioning for both of those programs and as well as i work closely with uh power fc which is an academy in the toronto area and they play under a different umbrella and so yeah so just working with those groups there and on top of that um i also do a little bit of teaching at the university of toronto where i am a sessional lecture in the faculty of kinesiology and physical education so is there anything you don't do derek <laughs> uh yeah it, there's a lot that i do that i that i do currently right now um but like i said you know it's uh it's it's there's a lot of moving pieces but you know what i enjoy it you know and if i'm if i'm doing uh my best to help these players out and help them achieve their goals and um and help them develop into good little footballers then you know what it's all in the end it's all worth it so what are some of the main challenges you face, mate? So obviously you run your business privately, don't you? But what are some of the main challenges faced in, in Canadian football? I think the biggest challenge here is that, you know, when I listen to a lot of the other guests that you have on, it's I'm actually really jealous that a lot of them have a home. And right now, I really don't have a home. I have a car that I live out of, I guess. Um, and I guess to go a little bit further, expand on that a little bit better, is just that, um, you know, when a lot of players are, sorry, when a lot of the coaches that you talk to, you know, they're part of an academy or they're part of a pro club where basically the players come in and that's their one stop and they do whatever they need to do and then they're on the field and then from there they go home. Uh, for us, it's a little bit different here. The, uh, the club's there isn't that whole academy structure. Uh, there is no, there is only one pro club here, which is, you know, Toronto FC. Um, that's slowly changing as this year will be the launch of the uh, CPL in Canada, which is pretty exciting. But a lot of those clubs have not developed the academy structure yet. And so these clubs are spread out throughout the city, right? And so they train out of different gymnasiums. Um, they're, they're, they're in different facilities. They're on different fields. And so basically it's trying to manage all the different teams, all the different players and trying to make sure that you know my schedule is um i'm on top of things so i'm arriving at the right places at the right time and so it's basically yeah like we don't have a home currently and so it's just being able to apply all the different programs in the different settings 
And each of the teams and each of the different clubs have different um, needs and they have different goals. And so it's just trying to make sure that we adopt our model to best support their model. So some areas I may be in a gymnasium with some teams where I have them for a full hour and a half. And so we do, you know, we do our long-term athletic development work. Uh, we do our strength and conditioning. We do a little bit of our football. And then I have some other groups where maybe we divide the time. So they're doing a technical tactical session for 45 minutes. And then we take over and do their physical development for 45 minutes. Um, so it's just working closely with all the different coaches um, and all the different technical directors to make sure that our model is going to be, um, is going to work best with what they want to implement. And so I guess that's probably the biggest challenge that we face right now is that currently I'm probably responsible for close to, let's see, I'm going to say maybe close to about 18 to 20 teams. And so you can imagine you have anywhere between 16 to 20 players per team. And so it's trying to manage all the athletes. So again, so how can we approach it from a team point of view, but then also how can we do our best to individualize uh, training for all the individual players? And so that's the big thing. And then, you know, myself, I'm lucky. I have a good team of coaches that work with me. Uh, my interactions with the coaches and all the different technical directors is very good. Um, and again, you know, every year we try to reflect on, you know, what went well, what did not go well. And we just keep trying to build on top of those models year by year. So, um, so yeah, so you add all that together and in their busy days and their busy nights and their long days and their long nights. Um, but like I said, you know what, my, my feeling is that at least, you know, if I can do, you know, the, my work to the best of my ability, then I can walk away at the end of the day, you know, feeling happy that, you know, that we're progressing these kids and we're getting them to where they need to be. So can you go into some of the, I know you've touched it on it a little bit there, but some of the positives and negatives of, of working the way you do and not being involved with the club. In what sense do you mean not being involved with the club? Well, sorry, one club. So not being tied down, down to one club. Yeah. So I guess, I guess the hard part is, is that, you know, you're, 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 you're trying to stay busy. Um, also, also we're, we're trying to learn, uh, sorry, we're trying to earn a living. And so, you know what, sometimes just spreading ourselves out is what is going to keep us employed. Um, and so I guess from a, I guess a frustrating part or, or a part that could be on the negative side of things is that, you know, when you're kind of spreading your time around everywhere and you're doing things in so many different ways, you know, sometimes you have to question if whether, you know, whether what you're doing is the right way. And you know what I mean? Are there improvements that we can do? Um, how can I be a better coach? How can we deliver better programs? Um, you know, sometimes we're, we're handcuffed with what we want to do. Um, and so after that, you know, you can kind of look at it in that way, but then some of the positives are, you know what, by being in all these different environments, you can learn from all the different environments. And then sometimes, you know what, you try to take maybe what works positively in one and see if that influences positively in another. And so, like I said, there's pros and cons to both. Um, like I said, I guess the biggest challenge is, is just, is, you know, for me, a big challenge would be, you know, instead of dividing my time up everywhere, could there be somewhere where I could actually just dive in and focus 100% of my energy, right? And um, and so from there, it's like I said, it's it's difficult, but you know what? We we do what we have to do. Um, you know, we do good work, at least as far as I believe we do good work. And you know what? Like I said, we just we just hope that we're having a positive influence everywhere we are. So with the amount of plays you work with there, Derek, 
like you're covering a, a large number of players and and guessing at different ages as well. Yep. You must have created a few systems um, to work with that number of players. So can you touch on on that a little bit? Yeah. So so the big thing for us is that you know we really try to establish good habits early. And from what we try to approach it as is, you know, again, we are working close with footballers, but we're thinking long term. We're thinking bigger picture. And, you know, I'm sure you can attest to this, you know, where you guys are, where the majority of players here that will have an opportunity to play professionally somewhere. okay, we know those percentages are low. Right. But we do our best to try and give the players the best tools so that way they can carry a lot of these good habits into their teens, into adulthood. And, you know, just basically trying to make them active for life and just living good, healthy um, lives on top of that as well. And so for us, we usually start at uh, a lot of the teams that I usually tend to start off with are anywhere between the U12 and U13 age group. And from there, we start to educate our players right away. So what we start focusing on is we start focusing on the building blocks. And what we're looking at is we introduce our players to our seven key features uh, for movement. Because for us, our philosophy is that, you know what, movement movement matters. Movement is king, right? Movement has to be, you know, what everything is built upon. And, you know, I understand speed and I understand power and I understand strength, but how an athlete moves is, is extremely important. And so what we do is, like I said, we start educating our players right away and um, we introduce them to our seven key features. So we have two for the knee, we have three for the spine and two for the shoulder. And we try to start implementing or just trying to have starting trying to start to have our athletes understand why we are having them do the things that they do. And I think when we start to explain that stuff to them, we get better buy-in from the athlete because it's like, okay, you know what, you know, coach Derek is making us do this, this, and this, but these are his reasons for doing so. And so from there, we take those seven key features and we start to apply them to the five fundamental movement patterns. And then from there, we start to stress the movement patterns, you know, with different speeds in different planes, um, maybe in the early stages, just focusing on body weight, but then eventually progress them into some different loads. And then as they start to, you know, move along the age continuum, you know, we keep trying to add to the demands of that and then just trying to see what their capacity is, what they're, you know, if they have the capacity to be able to tolerate that stuff. So lots of movement variability, lots of self-exploration, and I guess just trying to really build their movement vocabulary up as much as possible. So that way we start to help them to develop solutions uh, to problems that they may face. And so from there, we feel that this philosophy has worked really well for us. Um, and then usually around the U15 to U16 age group, we start to bring them into the weight room. And again, it's not so much that we really care about how much load or how much speed they're moving at, but just to start adding more variability to those movements. And so like their lunge patterns are amazing. Okay, awesome. Try holding these two dumbbells and see how that changes your movement. Let's start moving in this plane maybe with this type of movement associated with it and see what happens. And again, from there, can they still maintain those seven key features that we that we want within those fundamental movement patterns? And if they can, then again, we keep finding ways to challenge them. 
And then from there, like I said, we hope that, you know, this has transferred to them what they do on the field. So that way we can start trying to cut down on some of these injuries that we're seeing constantly, but as well, trying to also help with their performance, trying to help with their movement efficiency. Right. And so now we can start to help them excel. Um, and then, like I said, and then applying it to their, to their footballing. And so hopefully we can help to develop a better player in general. It's an interesting approach how you work through the age groups there. And what's the the sort of oldest age groups that you work with, or do you go up to adults? Yeah, so we I used to work with a uh, a team here that played in the USLPDL, which went up to under twenty three, and um, and I've also worked with some professional players too. And the interesting thing is, you know, what still for me is that. Like I said, movement is king. And, you know, we've had some athletes that we've worked with who are professional athletes, um, and they struggle with some of the early stuff. And some of it is we have to regress them right back and kind of like, I don't know if I really like to use this term resets, but sometimes it's just to make sure that, you know what, hey, yeah, your movement patterns are good. You're able to maintain your key features. You know what I mean? And then we start to test it, you know, unilateral, bilateral, different planes, different speeds, different loads. And then once they, we see that we start to kind of build them back, then we start trying to apply um, more of these soccer-specific stuff. And uh, and like I said, so yeah, so we start – like for us, the philosophy is still the same. And the way we apply it amongst the different age groups may be a little bit different, but we have an overall outcome that we're trying to achieve. And for me is that you know if, if you can keep your knees in line with your hips and toes, whether you're doing a squat, a lunge, or a deadlift, or whether you're sprinting or shuffling um, or you're changing direction – to me, that matters. But again, we will start off in a very, very, very controlled environment. And then as we start to, you know, see that the athletes are starting to excel and then we start to open things up a little bit. And uh, and again, like I said, it's just a lot of education to the athlete. And at the end of the day, I don't want my athletes just walking away being tired, right? We want them walking away being better. And I think they always have to walk away having learned something. And we do that as part of our, like, you know, part of the way we, um, the way we'll finish up our session. So we'll begin by talking to them a little bit, explain to them what they want to do. And at the end, we'll ask our athletes, Hey, what did you learn today? What did you walk away with? And you know what, if they can walk away with one thing, then listen, that's a win for us. And like I said, and if not, then we go, then we go back to it again the next time we see them. And so, like I said, that's, that's kind of like how we would move from a younger age group and keep progressing. But again, if at the older ages, we're not seeing what we need to see, We'll have to regress it back until uh, until they can get into the habit of having those good moving skills with all the different things that they need to do. I think it's really interesting where you talked about the seven key movements. So can you go into into that in a little bit more detail? You said about the two knee, the three spine, and the two shoulder. What exactly you're looking for on that? Yeah, so these are things that uh, were created or over uh, that were emphasized with uh, with Dr. David Frost. So he's a professor that I work with closely at uh, at the University of Toronto, and he's done a lot of work in sport and a lot of work in tactical. And so basically, these may be a lot of movements that we have seen about, but we've packaged them in a way that um, that the athlete can relate to very easy. So if we start off with the two from the knee, we have, um, first of all, we try to show the athlete that when we're in a squat pattern and lunge pattern and a hinge pattern, the first one is midfoot. So what that means is their weight needs to go through the midfoot. So we want them off their toes. We want them off their heels. So if they're going to do these types of movements, weight has to go through the midfoot. Then the second one for the knee is we look at knee in line with hips and toes. 
right? So whether it's a step up, whether it's a lunge, whether it's a reverse lunge, whether it's a vertical jump, whether it's a vertical hop, we want them to make sure that they can keep those knees in line with their hips and toes. And we have to make sure that, you know, we try to avoid valgus as much as possible. And then we have three for the spine. So we make sure that the athletes are able to control flexion, extension, lateral bend, and rotation. And so when we start to teach them these things and starting to teach them about exercise and training, you know what I mean? Having an understanding of that, they can get a better picture of it. And what's really interesting is, um, I'll touch on this in a second. I'll finish off the seven key features. So the, sorry, the last two key features are, uh, for the shoulder. So we want to make sure that the shoulders are back. So elbows and shoulders are moving together. And then we also want to make sure that the shoulders are down. Okay. So as we're doing any kind of pushing or pulling movements, we don't want the shoulders up by the ears. And so, like I said, so we take these seven key features, we start to discuss them with, um, with the athletes, which is amazing because you see some really cool things happening and then as we start progressing through the exercises we actually have the players partner with each other and then as we're doing our exercises or as we're doing our different movements we have them start to coach each other and what's really amazing to see is that all of a sudden the athletes who have an understanding of these are able to help correct each other as they're doing their exercise so watch your knees make sure they're not doing this hey your back is rounding And it's really, really neat because I think, you know, we can explain it to the one way, but if they can teach each other, then that shows us that they've learned it. And then from there, you start to see the sessions change a little bit now because now the players are holding each other accountable and stuff. And it's, it's pretty cool to see. So, um, so we emphasize those right from the get go. And then from there, we start to apply them to all the different movement patterns. And one thing I wanted to ask you, Derek, was, um, one of our former guests, Mike Boyle was on episode 19. Mm-hmm. And he's obviously um, well known for his views on on squatting and the um, back squat compared to a single leg squat, like a rear foot elevated split squat or a step up or something like that. So, do you have any any views um, or ways of working that you stick to in that in that similar way? Yeah. So, so for us at the early stages, is you know we we work on all of it. And again, we want the players squatting. I want them doing bilateral squats, unilateral squats, uh, split squats, rear foot elevated, all different types of things in the early stages because I want to expose them to different ways of moving. And so the way we even break it down is we even start off as simple as just base position. What is your base position? How do you get into base position? And so we try and teach the athletes like, hey, listen, we want our feet pointing straight ahead. We want the weight going through our midfoot. We want our knees in line with our hips and toes. We want our spine neutral. We want our head up. We want our hips back. And then from there, once they understand that, now we start to apply more to it. So now from this position here, let's do a squat. And then as we get better at the squat, then okay, from here, let's now turn it into, say, a quick drop, where now they're dropping into that base position as quickly as possible. So now we're focusing on the eccentric portion of it. And by dropping into it quickly, can they establish that good, strong position quickly? And then from there, it's now let's turn it into a squat jump. And then from there, it becomes a counter movement vertical jump. And then from there, it turns into a forward jump. And then from there, it progresses into a shuffle. And then we turn it into single leg. And so to me, it's like just having that build up. And I just want to just expose them to different movement. Now, is it under heavy load? Not at all. It's all body weight. But again, to me, it's really important that an athlete be able to control those movements in those different environments, okay, with the different tempos or different speeds that we want in different directions and just allow them to explore a little bit. 
And then, for example, like this isn't to make it soccer specific. So hopefully your uh, your listeners don't uh, don't misinterpret this. But we give them a soccer ball to hold. And so now hold a soccer ball and see how this changes your movement. So all of a sudden we may do a squat to press or a squat to overhead press with the ball. But to me, it's not so much about the low, but it's the variability in the movement. So now can you still maintain those key features while performing the same activity? Something changes. We have kids who are amazing. They're so good in their base position. They are amazing at their squat. And all of a sudden I give them the soccer ball to hold and things start to change. Why is that? right? They start to squat on their toes. They start to, you know, their knees start to come forward. Their knees start to drop in. It's like, I've changed nothing. I've just given you a soccer ball to hold. So why has that changed the way you move? But that's what we want the players to explore, right? And then from there, we may even do funny things like, listen, like let's do a somersault and then see if you can come up into a base position, right? What does that look like? Now let's start a car at a cartwheel, see what happens to there. Let's do some quadruped work. So again, it's just continuing to build on top of that. You know, do we, and then once I get with my, with my older athletes, um, and we start getting them into the weight room, do we do some back squats? Yeah, we do some back squats. We do it at a relatively easy load, something that's manageable for them. But again, it's, it's more about, it's not so much about the load for us as it is that we want to see, you know, what their movement looks like. You know what I mean? Can they still maintain those key features with something on their shoulders? Can they still maintain those key features with something in their hands, right? So for us, it's more about building this movement vocabulary than it really is about, you know, the whole, um, I guess I'm not really too concerned about the speed and power aspect um, and, you know, having our athletes clean and jerk and all that stuff. You know, to me, it's like we'll work through some of those movements, but to us, it's like it's just it's more about the variability, and just expose them to lots of different things. So when they've been through a program like that, Derek, and they get into possibly like a first team level, and maybe they are doing some loaded squats um, and some loaded movements if they're ready to. What would how would your se- what would your session look like in that sort of circumstance? So yeah, so when when so with the athletes that I work with in the weight room, uh, we come in we come in there and basically we'll do some sort of movement prep, um, just to kind of get them you know get them ready for the for the exercises that they're going to do, and then for us again the reason why we have them in the weight room is again is just to provide more education for them. And so what we started noticing is, is that as some of our players, especially at the OPDL program, because or at the OPDL level, it's, it's basically, it's a program that's been structured to try and raise the level of play here. So it's our high performance program. We we're trying to push players onto, you know, maybe division one scholarships in the U S uh, we are looking at potentially, you know, players moving on to TFC's Academy. Now with the new CPL, maybe some of these players are going to go on to have professional careers here in Canada and for us, for myself, it was, was when I was having a lot of these discussions with a lot of the strength coaches who are at these levels is they would say we would get a first-year player or we would get a rookie player and we would give them a gym program and they would be completely lost. And many times we thought they were lazy or they didn't like to be here. But the problem was is that they had just never been in that setting before and they had no idea what they were supposed to do. And so when we do our weight training programs, it's, it's more to just even, like I said, it's more about just giving the athlete a lot of education. So that way, when they're confronted with a situation like that, they can thrive in those environments. And for us, it's like, okay, come on in, 
let's teach you guys about what it's like to be in the weight room. So first let's introduce you to what, you know, just what all the equipment is like and what it is and what it's called. And then we'll start, um, and then we'll start exposing them to the different types of exercise. We'll talk about the fit variable. We'll introduce them to RPE. And then from there they can start to see. So it's like, okay, we are going to perform, you know, this split squat rear foot elevated with these dumbbells. Okay. You're going to have to choose the load that's appropriate for you, but this is the tempo that I want you to try and maintain. And this is the rest that I want you to have before you start your next set. And so it's just really trying to start and educate them on why they are doing this and how this will benefit them in the long run. And again, it's just we we have our five movement patterns and we just we expose like we create exercises that are based on that. And again, is emphasizing our key features that are going to help to have help the athlete have their or help them maintain optimal movement. And again, it's just, I want the walking away to, you know, being like, Hey, listen, I can now go off to college or university. And if I'm handed my training program, I can look at it. I know exactly what I have to do and I can go about my business. Right. And so for that's kind of like the bigger picture for us is like I said, just how much education can we provide our players and just to give them all the tools that they're going to need to be successful at once, if their careers move on to those higher levels. And you think football or soccer is an outlier in, in that sort of circumstance in terms of how players um, look at the weight room and, and feel in a gym environment? Or do, you, or do you think that is just across certain age groups? I, I you know, when I, when I heard actually the podcast you had with Mike Boyle was really good. I listened to it and I, I can agree with a lot of the things that he's saying. And I think the culture of the sport is very slow to adapt to it. Now, is it getting better? I do think so. I think a lot more coaches now are starting to see the benefits of being in those environments. Um, but like I said, it's just it's a lot of education. Like there's there's still thoughts out there that resistance training for youth athletes is not a good thing. You know, I hear it all the time. Oh, is it safe for my son or daughter? Is it going to stunt their growth? Like these are still things that we have to, you know, continue to educate our parents, to continue educating our coaches and just being like, listen, we're not trying to turn your son or daughter into a bodybuilder. What we're trying to do is we're trying to provide some strength. We're trying to challenge their movements. We're just trying to help them become better athletes so that way they can thrive or become better in, 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 as their careers start to improve, right? And again, the strength training isn't about getting bold bulky, but it's about just trying to build strength so they're resilient and they can last the length of the season. Because once the season kicks off, like it's a pretty long season for them. Like they start, I think they'll start having exhibition games probably in the next couple of weeks. If they haven't already started to go to showcases, then they're plus starting to play in April and the season goes as late as to like October and sometimes even November. And they may get one month off and then a couple breaks here and, you know, here and there throughout the year, but it's very lengthy. So for us, let's just lay down some good groundwork. And so that way the athletes can continue to, you know, they can just continue to perform throughout the season. We will do maintenance throughout the year, but at least now let's put in some really good work right now. Let's really start to, you know, push a little bit more strength. And, um, and, and what's amazing is even with our female athletes that we have, the amount of confidence they leave the session with is incredible. Like when I watch them, they like they feel like they can just walk through brick walls. And it's awesome to see that just being in that environment there, you know what I mean? It's just like, listen, they 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 feel so confident, they feel so strong, they feel so powerful. And to me, that that's that is amazing to see. It's amazing to watch. And um, and like I said, and that's the big picture for us is just more of the whole holistic view. And just like I said, how we can just help these players just grow um, to be not just good uh, footballers, but also to help be good people and to have good habits that they can carry out, you know, throughout the rest of their lives. 
I think that's a really key point that you've just made there in terms of how um, how training and, and resistance training or uh, developing movement patterns can increase confidence and that then can carry over onto the pitch. But what would your advice be, Derek, to, to coaches on getting messages like you just spoke about across to possibly coaches, parents, even players that have the view that uh, resistance training stunts growth, it makes us slow and all these sorts of views. Because obviously you can only have so many conversations with people on a one-to-one basis. So what? how can we get the word out there more? So we, we listen, we've been, I've been doing this for a long time now, and it's a conversation that I have at least on a weekly basis, a weekly basis. But for us, the thing is, is that we just, like I said, we start with the education to the player first and just trying to tell them about our philosophy and what we believe in and how this is going to help them become better players and to become better individuals. And with parents too, it's, you know, when the, um, when the players first join the OPDL or they move up to the 13 level, uh, the coaches will have meetings with the parents and, you know, I will be there and I will speak with them. We provide newsletters. So we kind of update them, you know, on what we've been currently doing, what to look forward to, um, some new programs that we're starting. And every year, you know, what I've learned early in my career is if you come in like a house on fire, it's not going to work. And if you really come in and you're trying to do a lot of pushing, not going to work. We come in where we just, we nudge a little bit and we add a little bit every year and something, you know, the next year we'll add this little bit to the program and the following year we'll do this little bit more. And I think, you know what, it's not going to all happen in one session. It's not all going to happen in one season. Uh, For myself at Oakville Soccer Club, I'm on my sixth year with the club now. And every year we've just continued to add and build to our program. And I think just like, listen, we we have to find different methods, whether it's communicating over uh, email, whether it's sending newsletters out, whether it's having workshops, um, those one-on-one conversations. It's it's that all of that, all of that I feel is important. And like I said, you know what, we are, we're educators and we have to do our our best to continue getting the message out on 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 why we're doing this. And I think that's the big picture is not just um you know not just on all the scientific stuff but like like why are we doing this? You know what I mean? Like the, the and I think honesty goes a long way too. You know, I'm really passionate about what I do. Um I've seen firsthand you know, how all these injuries, what they do to kids. And, um, and I think it's just important, like I said, to just keep those lines of communication open and just, and just to be honest with people. And, and I, and I think by doing that, you know, hopefully people will see that we're in it for their son or daughter and not for ourselves. Right. Cause it's not about me at all. Right. My ego was checked a long time ago. We're there to help these kids excel. And, you know, maybe this is more of a personal journey for me too, in a sense where, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. I wanted to move to Europe and I wanted to play in Europe and I wanted to do all I want to play in a world cup. But you know what? I wasn't good enough to do that. So now my focus has changed and it's like, listen, how many kids who share the same dream, how can I help them get to there? What can I do to help improve our national team and help build the sport here and help change the culture? And I think if I can do, you know, my job to the best of my ability, at the end of the day, I can hang my hat up and uh, and be happy about that. And uh, and so that's for me is where is where I'm kind of going with everything. But like I said, it's just it is. There's some days which are amazing, and there's some days which are extremely frustrating. But you know what? Just keep working and just keep getting the message out there. And you know what? You will start to see some really positive things happen. 
In terms of soccer or, or football over in Canada, Derek, how does it sit at the moment in, in relation to other sports? Because obviously you guys have got some massive sports over there with huge followings. What, how, how is it developing? It's, you know, I, I think from a participation point of view, I think the, um, like the numbers are there. I just, I think what's hard is, and, and here's another big challenge that I think is that, that Canada soccer or soccer in Canada is going to have to really try to address is that when I look at, when I look at England or I look at Italy or I look at France or Germany, you know, you have these established leagues that are there and you have a lot of these professional teams that are there. And to me, that is the carrot that is dangling in front of the, of the athlete's face. And it's like, they want it. They want to be in first team football where for us, it's very hard because this is our first year of our own professional club that is going to be launching. And there's only seven teams right now. And, and as far as, and I'm sure you know that Canada is a massive country, like it is huge. And so where these teams are located, um, you know, you know, they're not as, they're not as attainable as, as, as it is out in Europe and stuff. And so here it's like, now what can we do to try and keep, like to keep driving the culture, right? And I think John Herdman, um, actually a couple of weeks ago, there was the Ontario Soccer Summit and John Herdman, uh, who is our men's national team coach, came to speak. And that was his big thing. It's just that how can we change how we view the Canadian jersey? How do we change how we view Canadian soccer? Um, and what are we willing to do as coaches, whether we're administrators or technical directors or head coaches or strength and conditioning coaches? Like what are we willing to do in order to help that, in order to change that? And, um, and it's, it's gonna, it's, it's a long haul. I, I don't know if I have the answer. Um, but again, it's like, that's, what's tough for us is that, you know, a lot of times kids are invited into an academy, you know, or a professional, um, environment in Europe or in South America. And the kid is there, the player is there, and they're now working their butt off and they're striving to get into the first team. We're here. We have a pay to play model. And so the kids try out, they make their team and moms and dads pay their money. And that's the team for the year. And so now what are we doing within a training environment that is going to try and drive, you know, that competitiveness in the players? What is going to try and bring out the best in them? And I think that's something we really struggle at right now is that our training environment isn't what it should be. And I don't know if it's that, you know, for myself, like I have expectations in the training environment and I don't back down from those. And it's not to be a drill sergeant. It's not to be mean. It's not to lay into kids or anything like that. But it's like, you know what? From having worked with some professional players, I have an understanding, or at least I hope I have an understanding of what it takes to be at that professional level. And for us now, it's like, listen, we're not going to change our expectations for anyone because you know what? Like, we need to establish those good habits. We want competitiveness. We want players working extremely hard in order to achieve the goals that they want. No one's going to give it to them. And again, that's something that, you know what, us coaches all have to look at ourselves in the mirror and be like, listen, what am I doing to raise the standards of, of my training environment and, 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 and just trying to raise the standards of, of, of the players and trying to, you know, get the best that we can out of them. And I said, I think that's the big challenge that we're going to have here. And, you know, this may take a number of years, but there's some positive things happening. You know, John Herdman's done a really good job to try and change the uh, the culture uh, within the Canadian national team. Uh, players coming into camp now have a totally different mindset. And hopefully that starts to trickle down all the way into the youth clubs. Um, 
And so, like I said, it's going to be a challenge, but, you know, people are excited. We have, you know, World Cup 2022 coming along. We have a really young, exciting team, and then we'll be hosting a World Cup in 2026. So I think right now it's a really exciting time uh, for the sport here. And like I said, I really hope I can see it grow to where I, you know, where I hope it can. Uh, But like I said, there's a lot of work for us still to do. Sounds like an exciting time over there. And uh, I think the more opportunities that some first play, first team players get and then, and how well the national team do it'll, it'll just drive um, youth players on that little bit more and want they'll want to go and create opportunities for themselves but I wanted to see as well and try and tie this in a little bit to um, your approach to monitoring so how do you approach monitoring with players obviously with the amount of players that you see and also, do you, are you looking other leagues? Because you said about players there um, wanting to go and play in Europe. And are you looking at data from, from other clubs and, and trying to get players to strive to aim for um, numbers that they, those guys are hitting? Yeah, you know, like monitoring is really challenging for us. Um, you know, we don't, I'll be honest, we don't do a heck of a lot of it at the current moment, but again, we're slowly starting to build on some of those models. Uh, so for example, this year with our oldest team, uh, with our U16, 17 team, um, we've introduced, uh, beyond pulse. And so I know you maybe have talked to a few people who are working with beyond pulse. I believe Johnny Wilson, who was on your podcast is associated with them. So we've started to work with them now where we are going to start collecting a little bit of data on the players. And again, to also help with coach education. And for us now, it's going to be a big pilot project to see how this works and how it's implemented. And I think for me, the hardest thing was, and here's another challenge, the fact that I'm not at just one club and the fact that I don't have all the players coming into just one specific area, um, it's very hard to keep track of. And so for us now, by introducing Beyond Pulse, for me, what, what's really good about the technology, and here's a little bit of a, you know advertisement for them, um, is that um, what I really like about it is I don't have to be there in order to collect the data. So whether I'm working with a different team on that particular day, the coaches can now use this data and they can track the data. And the way it's collected, I will get an email at the end of the day um, or at the end of the training session so I can go back and start to review it now and then we can start to see what training looks like throughout the week. Um, I try to sit down with my coaches and we start to try to plan out the week or at least try to teach them a little bit about periodization, how to plan their sessions, how to try and hit certain workloads. Um, A lot of it is subjective so we try to get some subjective information from the players as far as RPE. The coach kind of puts down an RPE that he has Um, and like I said and we're also trying to find other ways other methods um, to try and bring in for the future so whether that's using some different type of app uh, whether that's just trying to ask the players themselves and starting to try to collect a lot of information from them Um, so we are looking at different avenues from that Um, you know I try to have conversations with the players as much as I can you know how are you feeling how are you guys doing Uh, we try to track injuries as best we can Uh, so we have a um, a physio clinic which is our preferred provider for the club so it's just trying to have those conversations with them to make sure that you know what we're going back and forth and then when we start to integrate players back into training you know I mean we start to have some parameters we can start to work with them a little bit more closely still to try to bring them up whether it's you know talking with the coaches to say listen you need to try and keep so and so at so many minutes for today and let's try and introduce a little bit more as we go on so in in a perfect world it's not 
it's not the greatest right now. Um, however, I still feel it's one of those things where, you know, again, if you come in and push too hard, you know, people will get the backs up a little bit or might not be a little bit too keen on it, or maybe you're, you know, feel you're trying to change their coaching practice. So for us, it's just trying to do, you know, little things a little bit at a time. Uh, but like I said, this is something that we're trying to get better at. Um, do we do any kind of preseason testing? Yes, we do that. We start trying to track the athletes as far as their height and their weight and looking at growth and maturity and trying to track peak height velocity. Uh, we do our movement screening uh, or sorry, our mobility screening with the players at the beginning of the season. So we can start to see, you know, maybe they lack a little bit of range of motion in the ankle. Okay. How can we address that? Now we start to work with our physiotherapy staff a little bit closer to say, Hey, like these are the kind of players we need to keep our eye on. Uh, we start to recognize, you know, I think once we guide our observations a little bit more or once our observations are a little bit better, we start to be able to identify which players are potentially at risk. Um, and the other thing too, which is really, uh, which is really, I think underused is that for us, like, you know, when I talk to people about warm up, it's like, oh, you know, physiological response and it's, you know, heart rate and it's, uh, you know, muscle pliability and it's increased core temperature for us. Those are our assessments. And when we put them through our warm ups and stuff like that, we're looking to see who's moving well, who's not moving well, and at the same time trying to ingrain our movement patterns. So in a very long-winded answer here for you as far as monitoring, we're doing some, not as much as we could be. Uh, but like I said, just for how our model and how it's set up, um, we monitor as best we can. I think the progress and the, the things you guys are going to move on to are only going to be a positive for uh, for yourselves and you, the more data you're going to get and that's going to open up more opportunities, isn't it? But is, it, is there anything you can talk about, Derek, in terms of how your how you see your company's going to progress and, and what you guys are going to go into and how you're going to grow? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't know if I have an answer for that just yet. Uh, but like I said, yeah, we're always we're always looking for new ways to be uh, innovative. And to be fair, the reason why my business started off how it did was I used to work for some different facilities in the past. And they brought me in to be their soccer guy. You know, Derek, come on in. We want you to establish these relationships with all the different clubs and start trying to bring in teams. And what we started noticing was, or at least what I started noticing was, because the players do train a lot and because they're so spread out, to try and get them to come into a facility on another day was was proving problematic. And a lot of my discussions with uh, with with coaches was that you know what, could you come and work with us when we're on the field? Could you come on our time? And I thought, you know what, maybe this is the way to go about it right now. Um, so there's always there's always evolution. You know, there's talks of maybe you know maybe we we start looking for a home base and starting to work with um, with players a little bit differently now. And maybe you know maybe there's a hybrid where we do some work on on the field, but then players are also coming into the facility to do a little bit of work. Um, so these are all things that are currently, you know, swirling in my head right now. Um, but like I said, you know, it's, it's hard to say where it's going to move to next. Um, and like I said, we're always looking at different avenues and stuff. And to me, it's just, it's more about, you know, how can we just become more effective at what we do? Right. And so for us, you know, even with my weight training sessions, like I rent a high school where we go in and I bring the players in there to use. Um, and you know, it's, it's not a mandatory program. It's an optional program, but we've seen how successful it is. So now is there a way to try and expand that and, you know, to work, to work with the player schedule as well um and also you know what like to be fair it's it's you know the, even travel here is just it's 
there's so much of it, right? And so for me now, how can we also make it easy on the parents too? Because, you know, we have parents who work, they've got other siblings who have other sports. Like myself, I have my own kids, so I know what that's like. Um, and again, so, you know, when you try and take all this into consideration, you know, what is going to be the best for all parties? And um, do I have an answer for that right now? Not at all, but uh, <laughs> but hopefully I get one soon. So. Oh, it sounds like a, an exciting time and plenty of opportunities ahead. Um, I know we do have a few uh, Canadian followers. So sure. if anyone wants to reach out to you, and obviously it doesn't have to just be the guys in Canada, but if anyone wants to reach out to you, Derek, where's the best place to get in touch? Uh, yeah, you can send me an email. Um, I'm usually pretty good at getting back to emails um, you know, right away, but uh, my email address is Derek. Uh, so D-E-R-E-K, so first name, so Derek at athleticsolutionsinc.com. And I'm also pretty active on Twitter. Um, I, I honestly, I think Twitter is a great platform um, just for myself to be able to connect with fellow strength coaches, um, different academies. Um, and that's another thing we've done too, is just reached out to different academies and, you know, and just seeing what different people are doing and just trying to see if we're, we're on the right path. Um, and so, like I said, yeah, Twitter, I'm pretty active on there. And I think my handle is uh, at ASI underscore strength. And like I said, follow me and hopefully I follow you back. Sometimes I'm not the best at all that stuff. Uh, but like I said, that's those are probably the two best ways to get a hold of me. Now that's awesome, mate. And I'm sure the guys will have some questions and uh, hopefully some of the, the coaches over there will reach out to you. And, and it's always good to grow a network and, and build opportunities, in, especially in countries like that where the, the leagues are building and there's going to be plenty he's ahead so I hope that the guys reach out and uh, get in contact but I really appreciate you coming on today and uh, giving sure. up your time so thank, thank you very much No it was my pleasure I really hope your listeners aren't bored but uh, but like I said no it was a great opportunity for me to come on and just chat a little bit and uh, and hopefully someone's walked away learning something I'm sure they will I'm sure they will definitely I know I have I've got a full page of notes here so I'm going to have a read through them in a second Perfect Perfect no, thanks a, lot. thanks a lot again, Derek, and we will uh, catch you soon. Amazing. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be on here. And uh, like I said, you guys are doing amazing work. Um, I really like the stuff that you guys are doing, the content you're putting out. And uh, hey, like I said, like like all of us, let's just, you know, just keep moving forward. Yeah, thanks a lot, mate. You're very welcome. Big thank you to Derek for coming on the show and giving up his time to chat to me. It was good to talk through all the challenges he faces um, over in Canada and also how he works privately and travels out and works with numerous teams and players. Um, some of the biggest takeaways for me were how he's talking about constantly educating coaches and parents on the importance and strength conditioning um, and trying to uh, dispel all the myths that go around and around youth SNC. Also, the work he does in terms of the peer coaching he spoke about, I thought that was really, really good. And then the importance, the importance of movement quality. I think you can get in the episode how passionate he is about movement quality and how that transfers onto the pitch. Um, and that was really, really good to him talk about that. You can follow Derek. He's on Twitter at ASI underscore strength. And also, um, he's given his email address, which is Derek at athleticsolutionsinc.com. 
So I'm sure Derek will be delighted if you dropped him a, a message, either whether it's feedback on the episode or if you have any questions of anything that he actually went through in the episode, I'm sure he'll get back to you. Um, he is a practitioner, puts loads of information out there, and he's always keen to have a chat regarding different things. So if you have got any questions for him, do reach out to him because um, he was really, really receptive to any, any questions or discussions. So um, it was great to speak to Derek. Please join us at our next meeting. Um, so we're going to be at Scunthorpe United on the 12th of April, Friday the 12th of April, 6 till 9pm. We're going to be at Scunthorpe and we've got a presentation from Adam Kerr. If you've not been to one of our meetings before, they are to grow your network, so they're to meet other coaches, they're to discuss challenges and um experiences that you face on a daily basis at your club whether it be amateur semi-professional professional academy wherever you work you'll have the chance to speak to other coaches um like i said network build your network but also watch adam adam present as well which i'm sure is going to be brilliant so it's on all of our um we're constantly posting about the tickets on on um our social media the tickets are free so it is a free event and there's also a link on our website. So if you go to footballfitfed.com and click on network meetings and events at the top, you will see the Scunthorpe network meeting on there. So you can click on, it'll take you through to the event Eventbrite page and then just uh, grab your ticket on there just to confirm your place. We've also got, um, constantly got content going on to the, the online community. We've got some presentations on there and some webinars on there at the moment on youth athletic training, integrated training in soccer. We've also got a recovery one from Andrew Wiseman. Um, Jordan Tyra's got a top webinar on there. There's some really good guides. There's some videos. We're constantly adding more and more content all the time. And we're going to look to grow, the, especially the video content in the next few weeks and months. If you do want to join the community, you can do that for free for the first month. So if you go to footballfitfed.com, click on the community tab and then join up. That'll take you, that'll give you a month for free. And then after that, it is only $4.99 a month. And we do believe that the content on there is um, much more worthy than just $4.99. Um, and like we said, we're going to be bringing more and more content. And there's some real top practitioners on the community as well that you can communicate with, um, including Paul Colbeck, uh, Paul Bowers on there so previous guests on the podcast Jordan Tyra's on there as well so these guys are people that you can communicate with it's not always easy to meet up with these people and, and chat with these people in person but you can do all that on the on the community so go and check that out please give us a follow and share the show as well so we are on Instagram at football fit fed we're on Twitter at football fit fed our email is mail at footballfitfed.com. So if you do have any feedback on the episodes, like we said before, any guests that you might want to see on the show or just any general feedback on the podcast, um, please get in touch. It'll be great to hear from you. So I know I'm not speaking to my laptop and nobody else, but I really do appreciate all the iTunes reviews that have gone out so far. If you haven't left one already, please, please take two minutes out of your day, head over to iTunes, click the five star and just leave a very short comment on which episode you've enjoyed, what information you've taken from the podcast so far or who you may want to see on the podcast in the future. That'd be really, really great if you could go and do that. Again, thank you very much for listening. I really do appreciate everyone listening. 
And we'll speak to you again next week with Tom Little.